us, we don't say, I'm already perfect in Christ. I got it all together. No. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, we say, oh Lord, forgive me. You tell people you love, oh, I'm so sorry. I did not handle that well. And the transformation is impossible without the transaction, but the transaction doesn't necessarily ensure transformation because the life he has for us is on the other end of the changes he wants to make in us. Isn't it sometimes frustrating to go through the process of being made more like Jesus? You're so aware of your own weaknesses and the places where you mess up. Having to pick yourself up after falling down again. The thought goes through your mind, maybe just give up this time. But you know that going back is so much worse. Pastor Daniel is going to be teaching about some other people who stuck it out in the Christian walk and where they end up. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, as he continues his message, The Multitudes. There's a lot of things we know, and then because God is infinite and we are finite, because God is all-knowing and all-powerful, and I don't know that much, and I'm really not that powerful... Every time you try and put God in a theological box, God's like, I got some scriptures that are going to make your theological box feel a little uncomfortable. Does that make sense? Because it keeps us saying, Lord, this is what we think we understand, but we believe in you, we trust you. Now, what goes on is, the way people look at biblical theology and the way they look at how the world unfolds, you have this idea that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. But by and large, the early church was predominantly Jewish, But it very quickly became a church that was uh, full of every tribe, nation, and tongue. And then you have all these scriptures about what is God's plan for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob physically. Israel. And really what a lot of people say is that in the last days, there will be a revival amongst Jewish people to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And if you look at it, there are rabbis who they call themselves anti-missionaries, and they're worried that there's been more Jewish people who became messianic believers in Jesus in the last 20 years than having the 2,000 years previous. Because there's an awakening going on. And what's interesting is in the book of Revelation, all of a sudden you find who's sealed? Oh, there's 12,000 each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So it's like, is this pointing to this idea that there will be this great resurgence in people who are ethnically Jewish believing in Jesus? So I put that out there for you. Now, I don't want to overpress the statement because oftentimes I was like, oh, this is the airtight way of how this all works. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if it's airtight. It makes us feel good in the moment. Now, what's interesting about this list, obviously 12 is a significant number in the Bible because you have 12 tribes of Israel, you have 12 disciples and all this different stuff. And what is interesting, and I'm just going to leave this here for those of you who are Bible nerdy that way. And I always tell people, if you want to be a nerd, the best type of nerd to be is a Bible nerd. Because it's God's word and it's fun to nerd out on it. What's interesting is if you look at the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, you realize there's actually 13. Everyone knows that, right? Because what you have is for the children of Israel, Jacob had 12 sons, but then he adopted Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. 
And when you look at the list of the 12 tribes of Israel all throughout the Bible, I actually wrote this down. I didn't search them all out. But according to my count or what I've read, there's 29 times you find a list of all the 12 tribes in the Bible. And if you were to really nerd out, I want you to take all, find all 29 of those and list the names of the 12. And what you'll find is that sometimes if they're talking about land allotments, the tribe of Levi is omitted because the Levites don't get land. And then you have Ephraim and Manasseh separated. Now, remember I told you it's the same way in the New Testament? We had 12 apostles, right? Now, obviously Judas died. And then in the early part of the book of Acts, who took Judas's place? Anybody know? Matthias, two of you know, we'll study Acts next. We'll get you there. (laughs) Matthias is the next one. But then who else became an apostle? Paul, right? So now you have 13 apostles, you know? And so, so you have this idea that when you, and scholars, if you like nerding out, you can love looking at, well, who's missing? And now what's interesting about this list here is there are two tribes missing here. One tribe is the tribe of Dan and the other tribe is the tribe of Ephraim by name. Because Manasseh's here and it says the tribe of Judah or Joseph, which would actually include Ephraim, but they're not named by name. I've read literally 2,000 pages on why Dan and Ephraim are not in that list. And you know why that is? I don't know. (laughs) Nobody knows. I mean, people have conjecture as to why, but nobody really knows. Some people would say the reason was is because Dan and Ephraim were the two who introduced idolatry into the children of Israel. You read the book of Judges and you read going on, you're like, ah, I think there's a lot of idolatry going on in Israel in their history. What is also kind of fascinating about all this is how many of you ever heard of the lost tribes of Israel? You probably should have. So what's amazing is out of the tribes of Israel, when the kingdoms, I'm just giving you, if I lose you, I'll be back with you in a second. Cause like, cause I really, I'm like, I'm talking some biblical ideas here that depending on what your background is, you're going to be like, what is he talking about? So there was 12 tribes. And then after the reign of Solomon, do you remember Solomon's son was a boneheaded leader? And then there was a division between the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes. The 10 northern tribes became known as Israel. The two southern tribes became known as Judah. And you could read all this if you did the first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles reading with us through the Bible. You realize that both sets, the 10 northern and the two southern tribe, kind of slowly drowned into spiritual apathy. And the 10 northern tribes ended up in exile first with the Assyrians. And then the two southern tribes ended up in exile later to Babylon. But what's interesting is once the 10 northern tribes went into exile with the Assyrians, we kind of lost those tribes. In Jesus's day, those folks were known as the what? The Samaritans. And so what's interesting is the two southern tribes, predominantly from Judah and Benjamin, when they came back, they still retained their tribal heritage. But the 10 northern tribes, we kind of lost them. But what you learn here is that did God lose them? No. How cool is that? I think it's so powerful because in our world, we think, oh man, that's lost. I'm like, listen, it's not lost to God. And it's just a great reminder that although if you meet people who are Jewish, unless they're of the tribe of Judah or Benjamin, they don't know it. People are like, I don't know what tribe I'm from. But you'll meet people who are like, oh no, my descendants go all the way back to the tribe of Judah. But God never lost these tribes. And what's amazing is, is God has a plan for it all. That's what we see. But again, the big takeaway of it is that you and I, we want to be sealed. And that sealing is by the Holy Spirit. Now, don't miss, where is the seal that the angel gives to these 144,000? Where do they go? On their forehead. Are we, does anybody know another seal that's going to go on someone's forehead? 
Anyone? Oh, see, some of you read the read ahead. Good for you. The mark of the beast goes on either on the right hand or the forehead. Now, why do I think that's important? I said it recently. I'll say it again. My friends, Satan comes up with nothing new. He always tries to counterfeit what God has done. Plain and simple. So Satan always wants to have a counterfeit for the real thing. And it's true for all of our lives. We always have to make sure that whatever it is that we're following, Satan is smart. He realized if he wants to get a believer off track, he doesn't have to do something totally outside. He has to do something that's close enough to the truth that it looks like it could be, but not all the way there inspired by the spirit. Now, I'm not the kind of person that needs to be like, man, we should be so careful. We gotta, you know, I don't want to freak out about things, but I'm always aware that Satan is a counterfeiter. He's always been. And so we have to make sure that we test the spirits and we make sure that I'm not falling off of one side of the horse or the other. Does that make sense? I think that was what Martin Luther said. He said that Christians can be like drunk men falling off either one side of the horse or the other. Kind of a provocative statement anyway. And the idea is that we want to make sure that we're solid, riding the horse, so to speak, of biblical Christianity. Because it's very easy, if you lean too far to one side, if you're not careful, there's all these different ways that we can fall off the horse. Does that make sense? Now, moving on from there, look what happens next. And this is verse 9. It says, After these things, I looked... And behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And all the people said, amen. So first we see the four angels. We realize there's 144,000 from these 12 tribes of Israel. They're going to be sealed. And now we get this heavenly scene again, like we saw in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, right? And right away, they begin to Praise God. Now, I'll give you the big idea of how they're praising God, and I think it's so important. And brothers and sisters, it's simply as this, that salvation belongs to our God. And I get that right out of verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to God. Now, we're going to learn in a moment that these are folks who have been saved out of the Great Tribulation. And we're going to get to that as we get a little farther down. But what's interesting is John sees this huge multitude. And notice they're from every nation, tribe, and people, and tongue. And we talked about this in Revelation 5. But we live in a world where still issues of race are very prevalent in our culture. And we have to remember that racism has no place in the body of Christ. Because Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. He doesn't say you have to be from this background. He doesn't say that you have to make sure you were raised in this, born into this nation. He's equal opportunity. Anyone who comes to him humbly saying, save me, Lord, will be saved. And because of that, as believers, we always stand against any sort of racism because our Savior saves. There's one Savior. His name is Jesus, and he saves anyone who comes to him. 
And in heaven, over and over again, there's not going to be like the middle class portion of heaven and there's not going to be the African portion of heaven or the white person portion of heaven. There's just going to be heaven and it's going to be awesome. And we're all going to be together. Does that make sense? And so every time we see this, we're like, okay, we've got to make sure we talk about that so that nobody misses that. Now, what's beautiful about these folks, they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and it says they're clothed in white robes, and they have palm branches in their hands. Now, we've talked about this through Revelation, but I realize maybe you haven't been tracking with us, and you're just here for the first time, so I don't want you to miss it. White robes always speaks of the cleansing of God. It's like we're in the New Testament, as a picture, you take off the old person, the soiled person life of unrighteousness and Jesus robes us in his righteousness we were though our sins were as scarlet now we become what white as snow holding the palm branches of course if you remember remember the triumphal entry of Jesus where they people took the palm branches and they waved it it was a symbolic action that said all of creation is praising God because the Messiah is here now what's amazing is is in heaven they're clothed in white robes They're waving these palm branches and they're crying out with a loud voice. Now, brothers and sisters, listen, one of my big prayers for our church family, and not only for Crossroads, but for the whole body of Christ is we need to relearn how to worship. Worship should be expressive. Now, I realize some of you are more reserved and your expressiveness will look different than the person who's like really... uh, not reserved, like me. Like, I'm the kind of person I'm going to be like, woo, you know, and other you'd be like, yeah, don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. But here's the deal. My prayer is that every time we gather together as a church family, each one of you show up ready to worship. You can't wait to be in the presence of the Lord and in the presence of your brothers and sisters, and we praise. And it's something that we, as people, apply ourselves to. Because when I read this, okay, so that was an unexpressive clap. This is what I'm talking about, people. So can we just, can we whoop it up for a second? Come on, I want you to say. Now I realize there's the reserved ones who are like, amen, Pastor Daniel. And that's cool. Like, that's what we want. Because it doesn't say here that their white robes, they got their palm branches. It doesn't say, and they stood there watching the worship team wondering when the song will be over. What it says is they're crying out with a loud voice. It speaks of, like, God wants to use our emotions. Now, we don't want to run into emotionalism, but we don't want to be to the point where we're, like, not engaged with the reality that our God is a saving God. And they cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This reminds me of uh, Psalm chapter 3, verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord, it says. Your blessing is upon your people. Now, I want to talk about salvation. I've been thinking a lot about this. Salvation is a transaction. We think about a transaction. So I'm in New Jersey, right? It's so, so fun going to New Jersey. So I walked into like a good old-fashioned New Jersey deli which is like a hole in the wall. And there's all these people in there. And when you walk in like, hey, what do you want? That's what they say to you. And, and there's nothing more endearing when you're in a Jersey deli when someone says, hey, what do you want? Because you know it's just your time. And so I'm like, hey, I want an egg and cheese on an everything bagel toasted with salt, pepper, ketchup. Mmm. <sighs> <sighs> right? So I'm like, this is what I want. 
they don't talk to you after that. And then at some point, it's done. And they call out your order. And then you know it's yours. And, but what's funny is, is that everybody wants their food fast. So like, is that my order? And it's like, no, no, it's not you. I didn't want salt pepper. It was not yours. You know, that's how this call goes. So then you go up there and you're like, oh, how much is it? And it's like, like four bucks, which they still have those crazy prices in New Jersey, which is awesome. Inflation didn't hit the hole in the wall bagel joints, but that's a different discussion. And then I give my money and they give me the bagel and that's a transaction. You get something and you give something. Salvation is a transaction, my friends. Jesus gave his life to buy us back from our slavery to sin. It was a transaction. But it's not only a transaction. And I think this is really important because when you read and talk to people who struggle with Christianity, they're like, listen, so you give your life to Jesus and you go to heaven when you die, but you don't become more kind, more loving, more self-sacrificial, more service-oriented. And I'm like, aha, it's a transaction that leads to a journey of transformation. Now, that transaction, if we were to die right then when you get your life to Jesus, you will be saved because there's enough power in the blood of Jesus to forgive any of us, whatever we've done. But for most of us, praise God, it's not like a you get saved and you go home to be with Jesus. So on the day, when that transaction, you get forgiveness, you get salvation because of what Jesus has done, that begins a process now of transformation. Now, it's impossible to be transformed eternally without that transaction of putting your faith and trust in Jesus. But here's the thing, and my friends, this is important for us, if you're a follower of Jesus. Just because you made the transaction or Jesus made it with you does not mean you're gonna become Christ-like. You have to keep showing up and saying, Lord, I believe in you, I trust you. I'm gonna follow you. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, we don't say, I'm already perfect in Christ, I got it all together, no. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, we say, oh, Lord, forgive me. You tell people you love, oh, I'm so sorry. I did not handle that well. And the transformation is impossible without the transaction, but the transaction doesn't necessarily ensure transformation because the life he has for us is on the other end of the changes he wants to make in us. And that's why we say here, our goal here is to simply respond to Jesus, not just one time unto salvation, but every single day multiple times a day where we say, no, no, listen. Yes, I'm so used to every night I go home and I'm stressed and I have a drink and you're like, no, actually I got to stop doing that because my stress reliever shouldn't be alcohol. It shouldn't be because that is a crutch. And we realize that because of Jesus, we don't need crutches. Now, listen, some of us, I used to do this. I didn't want to end my day with a, the drink, so I'd end my day with a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. In some circles, that might be more respectable. It's still the same thing. It was really good when I was doing it, though. But, but again, it's like, when you're convicted by the Spirit, our job then is to say, Lord, you have saved me, and my transformation is on the other end of me responding to you. But don't ever miss, it is a transaction that Jesus bought for us. And that's what goes, these folks have been saved because of what Jesus has done, but they have continued on to follow him in the midst of horrendous situations. So I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you are saved because Jesus died for you in your place, please keep simply responding to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, if you keep simply responding to Jesus, you will become more loving, you will become more kind. You will become more patient, more joyful, all of this stuff. Because he's constantly inviting us into it. 
And if you're here today and you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, the transformation that you long for will never happen until you are forgiven of your sins by the finished work of Jesus. And because of that, these folks here, they're praising God. And then all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. We saw them in Revelation 4 and 5. And they fell on their faces before the throne. They worshiped God. and They're saying, amen, so be it. True that, as we like to say. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. I love this praise. It's all just characteristics of God. All the things he deserves. He deserves all blessing and all glory. He's got all wisdom. I love how worship is so simple in the Bible. You don't need a theological degree, although that might be a cool thing. It's just a response in your heart to God. And then look what happens. Verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes? And where do they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat, for the lamb who is in their midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So beautiful. So if I were just to hang an idea over this, it's brothers and sisters, we need to let Jesus shepherd us. You need to let Jesus shepherd you. So powerful. One of the 24 elders, remember them? They had their little thrones before the throne. They cast their crowns before God. One comes up to John and says, hey, who are these folks? And John's like, ah, you know. <laughs> I love that. It's not the elder didn't know. That's John. Who is it? And John isn't presumptuous. He's like, sir, you know. He's like, man, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. The ones who've been saved in the midst of this horrific time. He says, man, they've been made white in the blood of the lamb. Don't miss that paradox. Anybody ever have your clothes be made white when you got blood on it? No. Right, you spray shot that thing 87 times, you still can't get it out. Those who do laundry, they understand what I'm talking about. But the thing is, is the blood of Jesus cleanses from all unrighteousness. And I love this. Therefore, they're before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Now that's a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 49, verse 10. Isaiah 49, 10. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. I love that. Jesus is... Pastor Daniel taught about how great it is to be a child of God, a follower of Christ. You learned that just getting inside the door of Christianity isn't enough. God has a journey for you to take. And along that adventure, through the ups and downs of life, you'll find yourself being challenged to become more like Jesus. You learned that the goal, along with increased Christ-likeness, is to be prepared to join with many others in that holy family. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, 
and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when the scene shifts from the glories of heaven back to what's happening on the earth. Pastor Daniel will begin teaching about the final judgments of God that are about to begin. You'll learn what the first of these judgments, the trumpet judgments, are and what their significance is. And you'll see that even when God's about to drop the hammer on mankind, He gives them chances to turn to Him because He loves them. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, A Year of Revelation. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.